yesterday, we began a look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 22, Naomi's bitter exodus. Now, if you'll remember, Naomi and her husband took the kids and went off to another country because there was water in that other country, no drought like where they were in Israel. And at the end of the day, she lost just about everything. Naomi comes back home bitter. And that usually is what happens when you fail to trust God, right? Well, that is exactly where we find Naomi today. And we also find some answers to our own bitterness that we may be harboring. We invite you to join us today for Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon. Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 22. Here's Pastor Chris and today's program. This is a painful exodus home. Who brought her home? See, all this is, it, it, we're being teased with the questions of, of it, 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 what is the Lord's disposition? What is the Lord doing here? He's not been mentioned much in this whole section. What, what, what is he doing? What is Naomi's perspective? How is she trying to interpret providence? How is she trying to interpret her reality? What is she doing right now? And all, that, all we know is we're watching an exodus happen, and it doesn't look very glorious. Hold that thought. Now comes the bitter complaint. Four things are said of the Lord in this passage. I want you to notice in verse 13. She says to them, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for, to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 20. In fact, I, when she gets to the town... And she says, what does she say? Notice this in, in, uh, in verse 20. They say, this is Naomi. This is Naomi. No, I am not Naomi anymore. I've got a new name. You call me Mara. Because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. I had everything when we left the land. And he gave me a blow and he took them all. And I'm bitter. That's what you call me, bitter. And then she ends up, the Almighty has brought calamity on me. <laughs> that is a, that's a remarkable thing to say. You have to kind of stop for a minute and get into the psychology of how she's thinking, don't you? It's interesting to do that for a minute and think about this and look at it. On the one hand, you know, it's a remarkable thing to look at an Israelite mind here in how they thought about life. There was no view of chance. <laughs> there, was, there was no view of random chance in the Israelite mind. Even though she's way off in interpreting providence here, there was no view of random chance. There, there was such an understanding in the Israelite mind that God was this intimately involved with his people. She recognizes that even outside the land, she couldn't escape God's choices for her, good or bad. Whatever they were, it, it involved the direct hand of the Lord. That's how the Israelite thought. I find that significant. I think this is uh, why David would say uh, after his sin with Bathsheba, and he had done those terrible things in killing Uriah 
and all those awful things that in Psalm 51 and 32, he makes a striking little statement that's similar to Naomi's here. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. Heavy. He was giving me blows. Look at his son. Was this the truth of the matter? See, these are the questions you have to ask of the text and you have to think through. Is this, is how, is this how we're supposed to look at life and look at things? And, 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 and I think this is important to say that it, when God's people are spiritually lacking and misunderstanding and spiritually dull to his work and his ways, there's a sort of evil view of providence that God is just out to get us. When we define God on our circumstances and his ways to us based on our circumstances, one, one pastor gave some uh, three classifications of how we view God and have a defective view of God and how that defective view shows up in light of the circumstances. And, and he said there's three, and I think you'll, you'll resonate with these. I think you'll connect with these. The first one he said is that we view God as a cosmic policeman who's ready to blow the whistle on us every time we take a wrong step. Ah, there you are. That's how we view God when things go bad. Or we view him as an absent landlord, he said, who checks out, you know, who no, checks in at the worst moments of our lives penalizes us when things are out of order, but who generally is outside of our lives and and uninterested until he checks in. Or, now this is the American problem with our view of God, or we view him as a cosmic bellboy who when everything's going well and everyone's making money and everyone's full, we can ding, 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 hey, we need something up there. We expect you to run to us when we call on you to fix our every ache and pain. You see? Circumstance driven. How do we interpret pain and sorrow in this life? She knows she's sinned. I I don't think you can miss that in the text. She knows she's sinned. She knows what they did and made a choice to do as a family was wrong. And it's a, de- very, it's a very defining moment that the, had the hand of the Lord really gone out against her. See, I think this is the question. When you're studying pain and sorrow, it's giving us a window into how she's trying to understand this and interpret this, which is what we do. Sometimes we face hardship in God's providence in the mysteries of it all when we haven't rebelled. That's the Job situation where his friends stood alongside and said, ah, you, need, you should have done this and you should have. Job says, stop judging me that way. And sometimes we face dark providences when we run from the Lord and he comes after us in chastisement. I think this is exactly why the author of Hebrews said, in this case, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as what? Sons. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. 
For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And scourges every son he receives. Wow. She looked at what happened. God put his stroke on her in anger. Cosmic policeman. Was it true? Well, you could ask the question, should the Lord have just left her there? Should the Lord have just left him there? Might there be a bigger plan in the death of the husband and the sons that's even better for you that you don't see? Should the Lord have just left them there in Moab in their rebellion? It's a fascinating study in human responsibility and God's sovereignty, isn't it? Uh, The question is when everything was chosen wrongly, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want God to do? Give them the abundant life in Moab? You know. It's, it's, um, it's really a moment, too, to think about chastisement, discipline. Hebrews uses, some translations use discipline. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. We, we have discipline all backwards. If we have a son or daughter wandering, or we have somebody wandering, our, the, the last thing we, we think of is, we don't ever want them to face the discipline of the church. Why? Because it's mean and cruel. Really? Who's mean and cruel? The one who says, farewell, I hope it goes okay. And not talk to them. Or the one who says, no, we're going we're gonna to discipline to come get you. Leadership gets so scared at this point for reaction of people. You're studying God's discipline. He doesn't do that. He doesn't take that laissez-faire attitude. Should the Lord have just left her? Never to bring an exodus. Might the Lord's actions of taking her husband and her sons have a really great purpose here? (laughs) That's what you're going to see. See, a lot of people, when life doesn't turn out the way they think it should, and they've made bad choices, and hardship comes. Because hardship comes. Deep hardship. They get really bitter at God. That's what's behind it. And they become incredibly unhappy with him and his dealings with them. Unhappy that things are not going according to plan, their plan. (laughs) Should it? I think this is why Hebrews also says, let there be no root of bitterness springing up and causing trouble and by it many become defiled. This rot of bitterness that can fill someone's life is awful. It's dissatisfaction with God. It's dissatisfaction with him and his ways. And have you bitter? Deep down, are you mad at God? Dissatisfied with where he has you. Dissatisfied with his plan. And dissatisfied because you tried to take matters into your own hands and it got worse. How are we to understand the Lord's ways to us? Well, there's a much bigger picture here. (laughs) This is is the, the mesmerizing point of the text. 
You can complain about life. You can complain about your job. Complain about those whom the Lord appointed to put over you. You can complain about your past. You can complain about everything in life. I'm good at it too, by the way. I'm a master complainer. Call me Mara. Bitter. That's my new name. Well, there's a much bigger picture. I believe this whole story was meant to be read to Israel and they would see a larger narrative in this. They'd see a larger meta-narrative, if you will, in this uh, that is really important. God brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt and what did they do? How, what was their attitude to the Lord? When they came to Marah, Exodus 15, oh, that's interesting. They came to Marah. They could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara, and the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They were angry with God, and their whole life was full of complaining because of his ways. Yet, what had he done for them? <laughs> That's the question. Stand back. What had he done for them? Only brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm rocked the heavens with signs and wonders to show his power and love to them. The Lord had done everything, parting the Red Sea. They didn't lift up one finger in the fight. <laughs> he saved them out of Egypt from that army that was coming out of them and promised to give them the land, the promised land. Naomi leaves it. That's the history of Israel always wanting to go back. And complaining the whole way in the wilderness. And now she's bitter at God. But was the Lord's hand against her? She arrives in the city. And what's her statement? The glaring statement to the ladies of the city. Everyone says, that's Naomi. Don't call me that. The Lord has brought me back empty. <gasps> well, really? Unappreciated gift is right there. Who's standing there? Ruth. You know, her name means refreshment, comfort. Verse 8. Ruth, uh, Naomi had said to Ruth, Go back and may the Lord show Kessid to you. That's an interesting word she chose. <laughs> His greatest covenantal word. May he show Kessid to you in going back. What did Ruth say to her? Verse 16, For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now you could contest me on this, but I think those are some of the most beautiful words in all the Bible. The um, word for clung means here, she clung to her. Deep, intense loyalty. It's used of marriage in Genesis 2. Strong joining together. This radical, in the midst of this, now listen to this. This is not the choice of a blessing you would choose. In the midst of this, little Moabitess clings to her with radical commitment and radical loyalty. 
in life and in death. What an irony. Naomi willing to leave the land to her, her gods. Ruth is willing to cling to her and leave her land to her God. Was God caring for Naomi? Was God redeeming the situation? Well, you could start with that little phrase at the end today. There was the barley harvest. You know what the law commanded at the time for the poor when the barley harvest happened? That the um, poor would glean the ears dropped by the reapers? In other words, what was being said to you there is God was bringing her home to feed her and care for her. You know what clung to Naomi that day? Listen carefully. The Lord's salvation. C.S. Lewis once said, this was quoted by Ian Duguid, and I thought just, just captured it. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't understand what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Ding, ding, ding. Drink, sex, ambition, as if those fulfill. Oh, your desires are weak. You're far too easily pleased. And Ruth stands right in front of her and clings to her and makes a promise to her. I am promising you the kind of loyalty. There stood a mother of Jesus. Put that together. God was giving her everything. And Israel everything. Through a gift that when she walked into town, no one recognized. No one said, who's that with you there? Who's that with you there? Did anyone? And the text tells us, beloved, we need a savior. Ruth's whole life becomes a testimony to Naomi and to us of what we need. Someone who the Lord will send for us. Someone who will deliver us. Someone who will take away our bitterness and complaints. And isn't this just what we, we need to start thinking about here? Who came and joined himself to us? Open your eyes and see what you have, beloved. A love of God that will not let you go. (laughs) That's what's being shown to you. The love of God that will not let you remain in Moab and live up your dream. A love of God that will bring you home to his love A God who sovereignly loves and will not let go. Who will strip you of whatever you need stripped. As difficult and painful at times as it may need to be. How long will it take you to see it? How long will you toy with useless desires? Ruth's greater son. We're going to see this unfold. We'll say to you. 
Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. When he came to this earth, he had no place to lay his head. Left the heavenly glory scene and came to famine. Your people shall be my people. That's the essence of the covenant of grace. I am your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. It's ringing through this. Where you die, I will die. Whoa. Who? The one who bore your sins on the cross went to your place of death for you and clung to you that way. You want to talk about covenantal love and loyalty. You want to talk about an indescribable gift. Here you go. Your desires are still too weak, though, until you appreciate it as you should. Then you see the greatest gift that's been given to you. What path are you traveling today? The road of life or death? It's time to wake up to your God, O Israel. It's time to wake up to your God, O Israel. If you're a Christian today and you think you can go the other way, I've got news for you. He'll come right after you. And you may have to live the pain of what you chose to do. But he will cling to you. Christ will come and bring you home. And I think that requires praise for his grace, doesn't it? That's what's starting to unfold here. For his grace and favor to rebels. Return to the city of your God. Return to your God. This is the joy the Lord has given us today. Love his kingdom. Love his people. Your desires are too weak. Christ has united himself to you. You've been united to him by faith. He has the ability to supply everything you need to give you lasting joy and happiness, to fill you with life and a life that is meaningful and a life that is well-lived for his glory. Enjoy your God, O Israel, for he loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this wonderful text today. Thank you for showing us your covenant love and loyalty through this imagery that's given of a gift that was not appreciated that clung to Naomi. Replace our bitter hearts with joy. Show us your salvation. Let us, Lord, come to you for light and life and stop fooling around with the stupid things that don't satisfy. We've done it for far too long, all of us. Forgive us. Thank you for your steadfast love. Thank you for clinging to us. Thank you for loving us to the end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we thank you for taking some of your valuable time and spending it with us here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon. We do trust that our time together today has brought about some real encouragement in your walk and relationship with Christ. We'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us and let us know how the broadcast encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways of reaching out to us. You can visit us online, agradio.org. That's agradio.org. Or by calling 888-504-8805. 
If you have questions, write them to us, questions at agradio.org, or use your voice memo app on your smartphone or your device. Record your question, and again, mail it to us, questions at agradio.org, and we'll do our best to answer them as they come to us. Abounding Grace Radio is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can visit our website for links to the platform that you like to follow. And if you have an interest in redirecting some of your financial resources to Abounding Grace Radio, well, we are listener-supported. You, along with others, have seen the value of this program, how it speaks into your life spiritually. So if you're someone who sees the value of this program for your growth in Christ, well, get in touch with us. As always, no gift is too small or too large. One-time gift, recurring gift, it all sustains this broadcast here on this station. You can go to agradio.org and donate online securely or call 888-504-8805 or send your donation via mail, Abounding Grace. P.O. Box 732, Linden, Washington. The zip code is 98264. Again, thank you for taking some of your valuable time and directing it our way. It's greatly appreciated, and we trust you've been encouraged in Christ. Until next time, God bless. Abounding Grace is brought to you on this radio station by Abounding Grace Radio Ministries. Hi, this is Chris Gordon, pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. I'd like to invite you to our Sunday worship services at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. We have two worship services, 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. We preach Christ and Him crucified with the goal that you would live in the joy of this comfort in the knowledge of the forgiveness of all of your sins. 1864 North Broadway is the address here in Escondido. We'd love to see you this Sunday.